You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Happy New Year. If you've got a Bible, turn me to Isaiah chapter 6, and we will be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. It'll take us a little bit before we uh, dive into that. Uh, If you have uh, been here for at least a year or more, you'll know that uh, January is a month for the last several years uh, at the village and then now as our own church for the last several years this month has held uh, a lot of things that we're praying for and so typically just to to say this by way of reminder typically in this month we talk about uh, the need to, to share our faith with those uh, around us and around the world we talk about the importance of the church uh, contending for life and the sanctity of human life we talk about the importance uh, of unity and of honoring uh, the Imago Dei in, in, in contending for uh, racial reconciliation, uh, so, so reconciliation in both race and also in class. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing again this month. And yet I, I want to, uh, because of where we are and because of the unique place that we are as a, a church now, I want to kind of lay over that just what our uh, unique contextual hope is now that we are Citizens Church. And so I'll do that by making uh, a short story long. Uh, August uh, 31st of 2018, Uh, myself and the other elders of what was at the time the Village Church Plano, Uh, we got away. We went to uh, a cabin out in East Texas, about two and a half hours outside of the Metroplex, and we were uh, were going to just sit down for about a day and a half to talk through uh, a lot of different issues that we needed to talk through as it related to where we were as a campus, right? So at the time, we were a campus of the Village Church, uh, and we were hoping to become our own uh, local congregation. And so we would vote uh, just six months from that point Point. We would vote in late January, and, and that was the plan, and it had been the plan for a long time, uh, and yet there was just so much uh, work and so much prayer and so much planning tied up into that, and really there were just a lot of important decisions that we needed to make uh, in that time, the most important of which was probably, what are we going to call this place? Like, what will the name be when our people vote? Who will they be voting to become? And it was important. And I, and I felt uh, the weight of it, right? It, it's almost like when, you know, when you're trying to name your child, when, when you find out that you're pregnant and you know that that name is going to just kind of hold the identity of who they are for all of their life, right? Uh, and yet for us, it wasn't naming a child. It was it, in the womb. It was naming a, a large group of people who already existed and already had lots of opinions. And so it, it just the weight of who we were going to be and what we we're going to call ourselves was just there. And so uh, what we did was we walked through a process that was actually guided by one of our church members who's just gifted in, 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 in this kind of thing. And, and so what we did was we talked about our hopes and we talked about who we were and we talked about our theology and we, we talked about individual stories. We talked about you talked about some of your stories and what you've been through. And, and what that did is that, that populated a list of, almost, of over 100 different names, 100 different options of who we could be called. And, and, and those kind of broke down in a couple different ways. And I knew at the time that I would be one of the ones who would stand up here a lot and address you a lot. And so what I did is as I read through the names on that list, I would just say in my mind, like I would just go through this little script where I'd say, hi, my name is Jamin, welcome to, and I would just put the, I would put the name in there. So like one of them was, was Cross Church. And so my mind was like, okay, hi, my name's Jamin, uh, good morning, welcome to Cross Church, and just kind of tested them out. A lot of them were just based on geography. A lot of churches name their church that way, right? And so uh, the street right here is Legacy. 
And so that was on there. You could name our church Legacy Church. I was like, no, we're not going to do that. That just adds to the confusion that already exists. And it was here and it's not here anymore. And it's just, anyway, so this one right here is Preston Meadow. And so that was on the list. You can name your church Preston Meadow. So I thought, okay, hi, good morning. My name is Jamin. Welcome to Preston Meadow Church. It's like, that sounds like an apartment complex. We can't do that, right? <laughs> Ironically, the church we were was the village, which is actually an apartment complex, but anyway. And so uh, there are lots of names on that list. A lot would be familiar to you, like Grace Church and things like that. But one of the uh, names on that list, one of the words was citizens. And, and I think it was Jeff Saladin who was the first one to just say that out loud and throw that out there as an option. And it kind of at first struck the room a, a little bit foreign in some ways because it's not like uh, Grace Church. It's not like Christ Church, right? For many, maybe that name um, belongs in the context of politics and, and not faith. But as I'm thinking through it and as we talk through it, here's the reality. The story of the Bible is the story of two kingdoms. The story of humanity is the story of two groups of people, those who are citizens of the kingdom of darkness and those who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son who are citizens of the king, King Jesus. And so, and the reality is this, is that the, the, the role of the church, why you're here, whether we know it or not, the role of the church, the aim of the church is identity formation. That when we gather here, when we come together, we would um, be reminded uh, who God has declared us to be, and then we would be motivated, and we would be inspired, and we would be convicted by who God has called us to become. And so what I'll stand before God one day and give an account for, at least in this role as pastor, is to give an account for in my teaching, in my leading, in my shepherding. Did I, when we gathered, did I, when we uh, were a people together, did I lead in such a way that, that we were reinforcing and declaring who God has declared us to be, and also reinforcing who God has called us to be? And one of the things that he's called us to be, our citizens. One of the things he's declared us to be, our citizens. It's in Ephesians. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and heirs of the promises. In Ephesians, Paul says it twice. Our citizenship is in heaven. He says, live your life in a manner worthy uh, of citizens of the gospel, being citizens of the gospel. And so here's the reality, right? Um, I was in pretty quick. Um, in fact, as we're talking about it, I said, guys, I I remembered something. I mentioned this name to Carrie two months ago. I was like, we were in our kitchen and I was talking church names. I was like, hey babe, what about Citizens Church? And I said, I, I said that to her and they go, okay. They're like, sure, we're not gonna let you take credit for this. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll prove it to you. So I called Carrie, put it on speaker. I said, hey babe, talking church names with the elders. Um, one of the names we're talking about is Citizens Church. Do you remember like two months ago we're in the kitchen talking about church names. And I said, hey, what about Citizens Church? And it was silent. And she said, hey, babe, that never happened. <laughs> I was like, okay, God knows. So <laughs> as we began to talk about it, here's what happened. There was more and more, not necessarily excitement, although that was true, uh, because tied up in that, I knew that there would be a lot of need for like explaining and a lot of need uh, maybe to bring clarity. But there was this growing hope connected to that name. Here's what I mean by that. What if, what if we become together right in the middle of Collin County? What, what if what God does among us is that we become a people who live out our hopes for our lives and live out our hopes for the world that are not from this world? And it was already in so many ways true about us. And yet what if, like we we're already a people uh, that, 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 that declared that Jesus is king, but what if we just spent the time that God gives us together just going even deeper into that? 
What if we just, we just boldly declared that we are those who live our lives uh, with allegiance to someone else from somewhere else and Jesus rules the world and he holds my life and he loves me and he's with me and he has brought me into a kingdom that has no end and my life is different because of that and through my life he wants to make the world different because of that. Like what if what we embody together is a small imperfect picture right now of what the world will one day be when Jesus returns and what if we place over that like as a people who love and serve and confess and confront the darkness in the world with the light of the gospel. And over all of those hopes, we place the name citizens and just say, God, would you make us that? Because we knew what we didn't want to become, and, and I know what you don't want to become. What we didn't want to become in becoming our own church is a church of consumers. We could become a church, not the citizens of King Jesus, but just consumers of religious things, right? And what would happen is, is over time, uh, our services become no more than religious events, where uh, religious leaders perform and religious people spectate. And over time, what happens is conviction gives way to reaction and we stop being led by the word of God and we start be just, just reacting to what consumers want. And so what that means is downplay the reality of sin, downplay the cost of following Jesus, lie to you and tell you that if you obey God, life's gonna get easier, pretend like uh, all we are lacking in life are a few moral truths to, uh, to live by. And so uh, here's a platitude and here's some sort of uh, pithy, like spiritual truth and, and God's not really asking anything of you. Just be sure to give your money on the way out and it could happen it could happen like without the intentionality of saying god we, here's what we want you to make us together what could happen is, is is like i am haunted by the reality that what is true is as a church we could grow and fail at the same time we could uh grow in terms of more people coming and we could get larger but if on the way to larger we leave behind what matters most gosh what a waste of time and so what we don't want to do is we don't want to become uh, consumers whose allegiance is to our preferences. We want to be citizens whose allegiance is to Jesus. We also knew we didn't want to become a church that's just full of critics. And what I, what I mean by that is, is people who uh, come in and, and are critical of the world around us and critical of those people out there who are not like us. And so what we do when we gather is we really are coming in uh, to reinforce our greatness to one another and to shield ourselves from the world out there and pull away from the world outside and pull away what's wrong with the world. And over time, what happens is honesty will give way to pretending <laughs> as if the brokenness out there doesn't exist in my life. So we had a, a dinner with our leaders. Some of you will remember this. It was last September. And one of the things I shared, my hopes for us, is that as we become our own church, as we mature, that maturity does not mean that this place gets cleaner. Maturity means that this place continues to be honest and grows even more honest about how broken we are and the need that we have for Jesus and the struggles in our life. And so we don't want to become a place uh, where we are critics who believe we're better than everyone out there, but citizens who are humbled by the fact that King Jesus rescued me and he saw me and he took my sin and he's patient with me and I am just as in need of grace as everyone else and the grace that I've received is available to everyone else. Shortly after that discussion, I attended, uh, we're still talking about it, I attended a prayer night and I listened to a man talk about his ministry that he had started. And when he was first starting and he was talking about this nonprofit ministry and, uh, and when he had first started it, he had just laid out his goals to people. Here's what I hope God does. Here's what I hope is true. Here's what I hope God accomplishes. And he said a lot of people responded and said, well, you're gonna fail. That's not gonna work. And he said this, and it stuck with me. I've, I've thought about it a lot. He said, Yes, maybe, 
But if I'm going to fail, this is the thing I want to fail at. Look, living a life that is rich and that honors God and that is full of meaning is less about giving your life over to what you know will succeed, but giving your life over to something that's worth it even if it fails, even if it doesn't work out. And I left, like I walked away and I thought, I could give my life. I could give my life to being a part of the people who are citizens together of Jesus. I could give my life to being a people who belong to the age that is coming, that have a hope that cannot be taken away, that have been invited into a story and on a mission. And even if it fails, I'd be okay failing at that. Shortly after that, we landed on the name. And shortly after that, we voted. And now we are here, January 2020. Good morning. My name is Jamin. Welcome to Citizens Church. And we've been at this for six months now. And I say all that to, to just say two things. First, when I think back on all of that thinking and all that planning and all that preparing, and if I can just slow down enough, which is hard to do in the new year, but if I can just slow down enough to reflect, God has just been so faithful to us. Like our, our time as Citizens Church has obviously been different than we expected, but not different than what God expected. And he has been just so faithful to us. And what is true about us, friends, is that we are a healthy, faithful, Christ-exalting collection of citizens of King Jesus. And this is a beautiful place to belong and a beautiful place to be. And I'm so grateful to God for this place. In fact, I remember uh, what I used to do is about a year ago or a year and a half ago when people would ask about the church and ask how things are going, uh, I used to say things like, you know, I just can't wait to get into the spring of 2019 and just kind of look around and see where we're at. And then when we were in the spring, it's like, you know, I just can't wait to get to the summer of 2019 and, and just kind of look around and kind of see who's here and where we're at. And then after that, it's like, okay, I just can't wait to get to the fall of 2019 because after commissioning service and then we're our own church and all that. And then about two months ago, I stopped doing that because um, in the last few months, I have just been so, like, instead of looking and thinking at what will be, I just can't get over what is can't get over what God is doing and what he has done, like the sweet work that God is doing here. I say all of that because I want you to know that you're part of that. I want you to know that you're part of that, a huge part of that. We've been this church for half a year and God has just been so kind and you have just been so faithful. The second reason I say all that is because we are in the month of January and this is historically a month where we talk about a handful of issues and, and we will continue to. We will address those specific convictions that we have here as a church, racial reconciliation, sanctity of human life, and what we're talking about this morning, which will take us into Isaiah 6, is living a life on mission. But we approach those topics now, as we approach those now as our own church, I just want to lay over all of those that this is not what we talk about in January. It's not simply the convictions that we pray for in January, but this, engaging in these things, is what it means to be a citizen. 
It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what it means to say my life belongs to Jesus. And so look, to belong to the kingdom of Jesus is to push back against the darkness of the kingdom of the world, to push back against violence, to push back against the destruction of life, to push back against oppression and to contend for life because every life matters. To be a citizen is to push back against uh, division and polarization and discrimination and contend for treating every image bearer regardless of class or color with dignity because that's what God has called us to as citizens and because we know there is a world that is coming where all of that is gone for good and so we, we fight for those things and into Isaiah 6 what it also means is that as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus we care for those around us who are not part of the kingdom that we by grace have been invited in those around us and around the world so Isaiah in Isaiah 6 here's where we'll go has an encounter with God, he sees in this encounter, it's a wildly popular passage, what he sees is he sees a vision of the kingdom of God. And then he is welcomed into that, although he does not belong to it. And the end result of that vision, I want you to remember this, because this is where we'll end this morning. The end result of that vision is he says to God, I will be the one to go. I will be the one that you can send as an agent of grace back into the world that is filled with darkness. I'll be the one. Look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Three things happen for Isaiah. He sees God, he sees himself, and he sees people. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, in the train of his robe filled The temple, remember that, super important. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Listen to what they do. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, in this vision, gets a picture of the kingdom of God and he sees God. There are two things that he sees when he sees God. He sees a king who will never die, and he sees worship that will never stop. Uh, the year that King Uzziah died um, is what, how it all starts. That's the context of this vision. The king over the nation had just died. His name was Uzziah. He was a good king. He ruled over Judah for about 52 years, and those 52 years were marked by security and prosperity. When Isaiah gets the vision, Uzziah either has already died or is about to die. The point is this, is that the king will no longer be in the world, which means the nation, the earth, the world is full of uncertainty and insecurity, and it's a bit unstable. And so that king is either about to die or dying and it's in that context that Isaiah sees God and he sees him as what the king of the earth was dying or dead and he sees God as a king he's called Lord he is sitting on a throne he's being served by these mighty spiritual beings and so on earth there is a king who either just died or was about to die but in heaven the reality behind earth there is a king who lives who was and is and will always be, a king who has true power, a king who will never die. And where is he? So important. He's high and he's exalted and he's lifted up, but then this detail is given, and it's so important in context. It says this, the very bottom of his robe has filled what? The temple. Okay, follow me here, because this is brilliant. 
The king Isaiah knew, his name is Uzziah, he was a powerful king, but at a point in his reign, his power gave over to pride. And what he tried to do is he tried to enter into the temple where he was not allowed. He wasn't consecrated. He wasn't appointed to enter into the temple. He wasn't the guy who got to do that. He wasn't pure enough to go into the temple. And so in 2 Chronicles 26, it tells us, it says, he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. He was unfaithful to the Lord. His God entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. The priest comes and confronts him and says, this isn't your job. God's not asked you to do this. You're not pure enough to be in here. And Uzziah gets angry and in his anger, he becomes sick and he had this illness and ultimately this illness is what led to his death. So that's the king that Isaiah knows. He's powerful. He reigns 52 years and he does a good job. But in his power, he becomes prideful and catch this. He's not pure enough to enter into the temple. Tries to anyway. He gets sick, which ultimately leads to his death. He loses his power because impurity always leads to death. In the year that that king died, Isaiah sees a whole other kind of king. Not only is he powerful enough to be king, but he sees a king that is so pure that the temple is simply what holds his coat. Like Isaiah sees God as a king who is both mighty and good. He sees God as a king who is more powerful than death because he's both powerful and completely pure that death has no argument against him. He's the king who will never die. He will live forever and be forever. And then he sees worship that will never stop. There is a song being sung to this king. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That word holy means he's different. He's set apart. Holy is one of those words in the Bible that that one synonym just won't capture the full breadth of what it means. And so when you look up holy, it says beauty and purity and goodness and wonder. And something is happening here in the Hebrew language that doesn't jump off the page for us who speak English, and yet what's happening in the Hebrew language just captures the magnitude of God. In Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something, what we do in English when we want to emphasize something is you just add an adjective, right? The game was very great. That was, anyway. So uh, in Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something, you just double the word you're wanting to emphasize. So in 2 Kings, it's wanting to talk about gold that is pure gold. It's the best gold there is. But instead of calling it pure gold, in Hebrew, it just says Gold, gold. Uh, In Genesis, it's wanting to talk about a a field that is full of pits. But instead of saying it's full of pits, it wants to emphasize that it just says that the field is pits, pits. Because to emphasize something, you just double the word. To, To magnify the quality of something or the breadth of something, you double the word. What is God? He's holy. But he's not just holy. It's the only time, it's the only time in the Hebrew Bible that something is described to the power of three. He is holy, but he's not just holy. He's more than that. And he's not just holy, holy. Like it won't do to simply double the word when talking about God. No, God, who he is, his brilliance and beauty and wonder is so far beyond what the mind can grasp. New ways of speaking are invented just to describe him. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He's not just more holy than anyone else. Holiness is more true to him than any other description is true about anything. It's how wonderful he is. It's the the depth of his character and his goodness. And that's what Isaiah hears. And then who is singing? This is wonderful. Seraphim 
It just means burning ones in Hebrew. They're some sort of spiritual being, but they're known by the fact that they're on fire, and fire is a symbol of God's holiness. And so you have these burning ones who are singing to God. And so whatever they are, they are holy, but what they're doing are two things. They're covering their face. Because uh, in covering their face, as holy as they are, it's a sign that God is greater still. The burning ones are not near as bright and beautiful as God. And then they cover their feet. I love this. They cover their feet as a sign that there is nowhere else they would rather be. Feet in the Old Testament uh, is a metaphor for the path that your life is on, where you're going. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so their feet being covered means this, I have nowhere else to go. I found what I've been looking for. I will stay here. They are covering their face in reverence to God. They're covering their feet saying, I will never walk away from you. Brilliant, beautiful, wonderful God. So Isaiah sees these beings whose eyes are covered in reverence. Their feet are covered in satisfied surrender because they found in God what their heart longs for. And so all that's left for them to do is sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah gets a picture and what he's seeing is the kingdom of God. It's a reality going on right now. To peel back the material world is to peer into the spiritual world where this is happening. God in his kingdom as a king who will never die, receives worship that will never stop. And all that he has created is around him, face covered in reverence, feet covered in satisfied surrender. And Isaiah sees it and he's not part of it. And then he immediately has a problem because he sees himself in light of how he's seen God. Look at verse four. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am, what's the word? Lost or ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees himself, and you know what he's not? He is not powerful, and he is not pure. The foundations of where he is are moved by a voice. He's not powerful. If the thing that you're standing on is shaken by something, whatever shakes the thing you're standing on is more powerful than you. And so what happens is is it's the voice of God that shakes what he's standing on, and, and it and it leads him to cry. Think about something with me. This isn't the point, but isn't it just so true to life that those like Isaiah, who before this moment was maybe apathetic towards God, he knew a lot of things about God, but didn't really care about the reality of God. It's so often the case that those like him who have no interest in God or the things of God, they're not simply moved by truth. They're not simply moved by sermons not simply moved by hearing something that is right, that apathy, that unbelief is only confronted when their world shakes, right? Only confronted when the plans or the relationships or the hope or the resources that I'm standing on, when those things move, when those things shake, when those things fall apart underneath me, then and only then am I moved to God because then and only then do I begin to believe that God is the only thing in life that's truly unshakable, unmovable. That happens with Isaiah. He doesn't have power 
at least not like God. And then he says this, I'm not pure. I think it's interesting the way he describes his lostness. He says, I'm lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Here's how he could have said it. He could have said, I have a sinful heart, because that's what it means to have unclean lips. He could have said, I worship other gods, right? Because that's ultimately what he's trying to say. But instead, he talks about his lips, which I think is curious. I remember as a kid reading this and thinking that uh, he, it meant like he cussed a lot or said bad words or something like that. And that's not, that's not quite it. He talks about his lips because of what he just saw. He sees his lostness through the lens of the kingdom that he longs to be a part of that he can't. And so he has just seen the kingdom of God and what is it filled with? It's filled with singing He's just seen the kingdom of God and it's filled with these creatures and he wants to join that song and he knows that he can't. He cannot uh, sing to a holy God. He's been disqualified because of a sinful heart and that comes out of his mouth as my lips are not pure. Anything I offer to the pure God is tainted by my life. And so he describes that as lost. I'm lo Another way to, to interpret that word is I've been silenced. I've been quieted. Being lost is not just about worshiping the wrong thing, but finally finding what the heart longs to worship and was made to worship and being silenced by your own sin. That's lostness. That's what it means to be far from God. So in the spiritual beings, in the burning ones, he sees what he was created to do. And every human, if, if we could be honest, if we could just have an intentional conversation together, every human can resonate with what these burning ones have. They found something that's so beautiful and so worthy of their attention that they cover their face in honor because they respect it so much and they're so mesmerized by it and cover their feet because they finally found what they're looking for. And Isaiah sees that, but he's a man of unclean lips. He can't cover his eyes. He can't cover his feet because he can't cover his own sin. And because he can't cover his own sin, he can't open his mouth to sing the song. He's lost. And if it ends here, his life is just a life of despair. If it ends here, uh, he simply goes home, having seen what he was made for, doomed to have only gotten a glimpse, but never really welcomed in. Look at verse six. It doesn't end there. Then one of the seraphim, one of the burning ones, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, a holy coal, a pure coal, that he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth. He touched Isaiah's unclean lips, which was a metaphor of his unclean heart, and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. One of the burning ones gets a coal from the altar, the altar was purified by fire. Something happens here that's remarkable. In the spiritual economy of the Old Testament, here's how it worked. Sin was contagious. Uncleanliness was contagious. So uh, meaning if something unclean touches something that is pure, if something unclean touches something that is clean, that which was clean is now unclean because sin, because impurity is contagious in the spiritual economy of the Old Testament. But here, the reverse happens. You see it. The reverse happens here. A pure coal is taken from the sacrifice. It was part of the purified altar, and the pure coal touches Isaiah, who is not pure, and an unclean man is declared clean. 
His sin is atoned for. His guilt is taken away because when uh, what is clean touches what is unclean and makes it righteous before God. Because would you hear me? Would you hear me? In the kingdom of God, holiness is contagious, not sin. In the kingdom of God, it is purity that is contagious, not impurity. And in verse eight, everything changes. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He now belongs in the presence of God. That which he could only peer into, he is now present in. That which he did not belong to was not pure enough to be welcomed into. He is now welcomed into that space and has joined those who cover their face in reverence to God and joined those who cover their feet in satisfied surrender to God because God has covered his sin. And now what can he do? He can sing. I walked through all of that so that you would see this. And what does he sing? It's not that he doesn't believe that God is holy, 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 but what does he sing? What's the word that comes out of his mouth? Here I am, send me. I'll be the one. I'll be the one that goes into the world. He sees God, he sees himself, he's invited by God into his kingdom and because of that, he sees people. He remembers that he is a man of unclean lips, he's been cleansed, but he came from a people whose lips are still unclean, whose hearts are still far from God and so he responds not by staying there and joining in the worship, he responds by going back to the world that he came from saying, I will be the one that goes and tells the lost world about the king who will never die and the worship that will never stop and the offer of sacrifice and purity that is contagious can cover over your sin so that you can open your mouth and you can join in what you were always made to do. That's his response. Citizens, this is your story. This is your story. You're like, I don't know, man, I, I think I would remember a vision like that. It's not what I mean. Here's what I mean. God sent Jesus. You belong to Jesus, have been rescued by Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? He's the king who will never die. Like Jesus is the one who's powerful and pure. He defeats death. He walked over death's dead body on his way out of the grave. He is eternal and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And he is the king who receives worship that will never stop. Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation 5, Jesus in Revelation 5 is the subject of the song from Isaiah 6. Worthy is the Lamb to open the scroll to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be glory and honor and praise. Holy, holy, holy. That's Jesus. Do you see God in Jesus? The King who will never die, the one who receives worship that will never end. And once you were outside... Not powerful. You know what it feels like when your world shakes? Not pure. You know what it feels like to be confronted with your weakness and frailty and failure. Unable to join the song of creation you once were and I once was. And whether we knew it or not, we were looking for God, longing to find the one who alone exists in his own category of holy, who alone is wonderful, and yet we were silenced by our own sin, ignorant and unable to worship. And if it had ended there for us, we'd just live a life of despair, only getting glimpses, only peering into what we were made for. But Jesus, we have a verse six in our life because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't get the burning one with a coal. We got the bleeding one on a cross. 
Jesus, who dies in our place, the pure taking on our impurity, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. The pure, holy king touches his enemies that they might become citizens because in the kingdom of God, holiness is contagious, not sin. In the kingdom of God, through the work of Jesus, he brings forgiveness and sanctification, and he is taking you from who you were to who he will make you and being beautiful and wonderful, and that is pouring out over your life. That's why Ephesians says he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's you. That's you. You've seen God. You've seen yourself as a Christian. He's welcomed you into his kingdom, and so we are those who obey him. We cover our face in the way that we live in respect to him. We cover our feet. Jesus, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nowhere else I'd rather run. And citizens, the song that we sing, the lyric of our life, I'll be the one. In light of what you've done for me, God, in light of what I know about you, in light of what you invited me into, I will be the one. So two things and then we're done. I just want to invite and I want to highlight. Here's what I want to invite you to. I think often when we think about telling people about God or sharing our faith, if that's how you've understood this, we maybe think of a stranger, first thing that comes to mind. Maybe we think of knocking on a door if you grew up like I grew up. Here's what I want us to see. Isaiah was sent back to the people that he was already a part of. Isaiah was first sent back to those he was closest to. Hear me. Have you come to a place in your life because you've seen God, you've seen yourself, that you see people and you see those, you start with those who are closest to you. I will be the one, not just talking about God, I'm talking about embodying a kind of grace to those around you that invite them to worship the God that you worship. And so uh, we just got out of the holidays, which for many in the room, it may mean a lot of time around family. And for many, what that may mean is that there's a lot of drama and a lot of conflict. And it's around this time every year that you're just reminded of the dysfunction that exists or the unforgiveness that exists or the bitterness that exists. And hear me, have you come out of that season thinking, I will be the one who finally tells them how it is? Or I will be the one who shuns and ignores them? Or I will be the one who is proven right? And friends, God has not saved you God has not welcomed you into a kingdom. God has not declared you to be his citizen so that you would be uh, any of that. He has saved you that you would say, I will be the one who is an agent of grace in their life. They're closest to me. I will be the one. I'm no different. I've been forgiven. I was in need of grace and mercy. I needed the, the, the bleeding one on the cross. And so God, you have sent me not for my own uh, vindication in front of the eyes of those that are closest to me, but you've sent me to be a missionary even to my own family. That's where I start, those closest to me. You have a job. Have you said, maybe many of you, like I will be the one who gets ahead there or I will be the one who outworks and outsells everyone else there or I will be the one who's known by being the most professional there and that's amazing. I hope you crush it. I hope you get all that you've worked for, and yet don't miss what's most important that God has put you there primarily to say, I will be the one who's different here. Like I will be the one who is the kind of Christ-like presence in my workplace that people think I'm strange and likable all at the same time. I will be the one. 
Uh, at home with your kids, I will be the one who, when they think of God, they think of the stories I've told them and the grace that I have embodied in front of them and the apologies that I've offered to them. I will be the one in the life of my kids. Where you live, in your neighborhood, I will be the one who, who, who longs to live in this place in such a way that if we move, we'll be missed. If we were to leave, there's a little bit of the light of the kingdom that will go with us because we live so redemptively in this place. You are a citizen of Jesus. A new world is coming. Those closest to you should get glimpses of that new world in the way that you live your life. I'll be the one to do that. And then I wanna highlight what is already true about our church. I started all this off by saying, that in the hopes of becoming citizens and in naming our church citizens, tied up in that was, gosh, I hope we can become that. And then really being in it six months, I've just realized how true it already is for us. And there are, there are few places where that is as clearly seen as in the lives of the people that are here that live in this kind of way that because uh, they have seen God and because they have responded to the mission of God, they live lives where their eyes are covered, their feet are covered, and they have opened their mouth and said, I will be the one. Someone asked me about a month ago, what is your church's mission strategy? Meaning, uh, what is your church's plan for reaching those around you and, and, and reaching those around the world? And there are a lot of ways to answer that question. Where I landed was what is primarily true is that our strategy is that we have gotten behind what God is already doing in the lives of our people. And if there's so much pride in saying that, not the, not the sinful kind of pride, but hopefully the righteous kind of pride, that, that that's as it should be, that God is already so at work among you that we're following your God is already leading, right? So let me just give you a few examples. Uh, Brenda Holmes runs a ministry called Amazon Outreach. And they take uh, short-term mission trips to the Amazon. They get on a boat. They go to the village, villages in Brazil. I remember Asher, my uh, eight-year-old, heard about this, that we did this. And he leans over and he goes, Dad, don't they know that some of the most dangerous animals in the world are in the Amazon? <laughs> and I said, yeah, they know. They just don't talk about it because they want people to go on these trips. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're on the boat. It's safe. Nothing's ever happened. Um, but that exists here and our church is gone and our church has been about going. And the reason is because Brenda Holmes said, I'll be the one, I'll be the one. I'll be the one that takes the message of King Jesus to people in Brazil who otherwise would not hear men and women and boys and girls. And we'll be the one that builds wells and we'll be the one that, that, that offers health care. And we will be the one that tells them of the king who will never die, who is receiving worship that will never end, who can cover you in your sins so that you can open your mouth and praise. Chad and Cassie Lawson, they uh, partnered with an organization called Africa New Life. And the story behind that is three years ago, they were just looking for something to be a part of as a family, looking for some mission to be a part of as a family. And they found Africa New Life as a child sponsorship organization in Rwanda. And they began uh, uh, talking to Africa New Life and they found out that Africa New Life was trying to get these kids sponsored in a small city in Rwanda called Rabavu that they didn't currently have a lot of involvement, didn't currently have a lot of presence. And so Chad and Cassie jumped in and they started sponsoring and they went and took their family and then they came back and they rallied our church and now 130 kids in Rabavu are sponsored by families of Citizens Church. Our church, 
130 kids, and there's a church that's been planted there now, and so it's 130 children given food and clothes and schooling in a church there where they have the opportunity to hear that Jesus is the king, he will never die, he receives worship that will never stop, and he can cover your sins so that you can open your mouth and praise him for the rest of your life. And it started because Chad and Cassie said, we'll be the ones. We'll be the ones to see them there and to rally our church. Sean Townsend's one of our members. He took a class called Perspectives and it just changed how he saw the world, influenced how he saw himself in the world on the mission of God. Sean comes to us and says, we need to do Perspectives here. And we said something like, okay, we'll, we'll think about it. Give us some time. And so he emails the next day and says, we need to do perspectives here. And there's about 10 days in a row where Sean's just reaching out. He's really meek. He's really, he's really nice. He's also a doctor. So I know that I might need him one day. And so we wanted to pay attention to what he was saying. And so we are offering perspectives here. We're hosting it as a church. If you are wanting to know, how do I do this? How do I walk out in faithfulness to this? You should take perspectives. Sean will be in the foyer, can get you connected there. But that's happening here because Sean said, I will be the one that helps equip the people of citizens to be able to be about this in their life. Campus outreach is on the campus of UTD. There are, uh, there are every single celebration service. There is a college student that goes in the waters to say that I was once dead and now I'm alive in Jesus. And it's because there are men and women at UTD who said, I will be the one that takes the gospel here. We have the Fasolinos, they've been sent to Spain because they said, I will be the one to go and tell Moroccan immigrants about this king. We have Jojo Goodman who's raising support now because she said, I will be the one that goes to Siberia. And then here's what I know, here's what I know, that in walking through that list, I have missed so many of you. There are, are, are many of you out there that I know will at least once or twice a month, you'll go to a prison outside of the Metroplex and share the gospel with inmates. There are those of you who have made relationships with those around you that are very different from you and you are praying for them or even just those of you who I know uh, every single day pray for the salvation of your kids, for family members, for neighbors, for those around you. And so here's what I want you to hear in all of this and then I'll pray that God has been so faithful to us that we are a people filled with those who have said, I will be the one because God's worth it and he cares about people. And our prayer is that we would continue in that, that there is more to come and we are just pleading with God that he would continue to do among us what he's been so faithful to do just in our six months. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to us. I pray that we would respond, Lord, in faith to you. I pray, God, that just as we think through the call on all of our lives, that you would give us courage and confidence. Even if all we're able to do, don't have a lot of answers, not really good in the argument, but even if all we're able to do is, hey, look, I know what it's meant for me. I know who God has been to me. And God, we thank you for your favor to us as a church. We thank you that to, to, in just our short time together, what we're able to see are the ways in which you have just uh, already sowed in our DNA so much of what we hope to be true about us forever. So we thank you for that, Lord. We love you, and we pray, amen.